SAFM values your views. Be an active citizen. Welcome. It's 14 minutes past 10. So President Cyril Ramaphosa yesterday apologized for the delay in concluding lifestyle audits on members of their executive. He said that this was as a result of him intervening and demanding that the initial process be abandoned in favor of a more comprehensive process. In fact, I think we have a clip of uh, the president speaking yesterday. Lebu, do we still have it? This matter is right on my radar screen. It is being attended to and addressed. And the delays have been occasioned by initially a process that would have led to a very superficial result, which I sent back and said, I want a more detailed process so that process is firmly underway now. And yes, I do regret the delay. It should not have been as long as it is, but the intent is there. As at March 2023, over 11,000 public servants in national government have undergone lifestyle audits. This process of lifestyle audits for members of the executive is spearheaded by the office of the Director General in the Presidency. Yes, I do regret the delay. It should not have been as long as it is, but the intent is there. Now, this process does not focus on any member of the executive solely. It focuses on all of us. So, with regard to time frame, uh, as I said in my uh, reply in chief, I see this process being completed shortly. Uh, He was responding, of course, to parliamentary questions in the National Assembly where he said that, uh, as you hear him say, the process is underway and he's expecting it to be concluded soon. So to look at how lifestyle audits will help, if at all, in improving governance and accountability and also dealing with, you know, the cancer of corruption, we are joined by Ruben Malika, the spokesperson for the Public Servants Association and advocate Stephanie Fick, who is the executive director of Accountability Division at the Organization Undoing Tax Abuse. Maybe we start with you, Advocate, to get um, an idea of a a background, where it is that we come from with this lifestyle audits thing and why it was even necessary for him to make that promise to us in 2018 when he made the promise, President Ramaphosa, that we we would, I mean, uh, they would conduct lifestyle audits for people who work uh, for government? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for the for the opportunity. I think lifestyle audits, if you do it correctly, will give you an indication whether someone is living beyond its means. We all know that uh, you know corruption and all of that doesn't necessarily you know comes with a paycheck. You'll get a paycheck, and then the corrupt um, money is is extra, which you you will not go to you know the bank saying, listen, put this separate. This is my corrupt income versus my my legitimate income, and because of corruption being so rough and people, you know, the tender corruption, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it became necessary to understand which government officials are involved. You know, who are the unethical um, 
officials that earns money more than what um, they they work for, um, and that you know at the end you look at their financial picture, and what you realise is that their expenses is more than their income, but you know they live a lavish lifestyle, and to buy doing lifestyle audits. You sort of are supposed to identify the individuals that you need to investigate in order to understand but what's happening. Yeah. So, I mean, what should they look like? How how should they uh, be? How should they be done? Perhaps what I'm trying to say is, what would make them comprehensive? Because one of the things that he said is that he wants a more comprehensive process. Mm. So, in the absence of a comprehensive process, uh, you know, I'm not sure how they were done to not even make them comprehensive. So, we'll say they're comprehensive when they are w- in what way. So a, a, a bit more in-depth investigation. So if you look at, let's say, just a, a, a lifestyle review, mm-hmm. that is a, like a desktop research. You, you go to certain databases, you check whether someone have a house, how many houses do they have, um, you know, do they, how many cars do they have. But when you do in-depth investigations, you identify how many cars do they have, not necessarily on their name, but how many cars do they drive with? How many um, um, houses do they have? Maybe not necessarily in their names, but maybe in their family names. So you, it's it's really digging into the lifestyle that someone is leading, mm. and then um, you know a lifestyle audit actually says that you know you do the lifestyle review, identifying the you know. Uh, the the individuals that is is standing up. Then you do the lifestyle investigations, literally, you know, looking at what that person does, income expenditure, you know, what does he do in his spare time, etc. And then lifestyle audits, actually auditors, forensic auditors, looking at you know all this information that was gathered in order to understand your lifestyle, yeah, not just your not just your official lifestyle but also the unofficial you know going onto your instagram and 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 looking at what you are presenting to the to the public and then understanding but why are you able to pose on a ferrari for example when you earn 10,000 rand or 20,000 rand a month. Yeah. I mean, let's welcome Ruben Malik. You know, we know, everybody knows that uh, people who have things uh, to hide, especially those that are guilty of things like corruption, are very sleek in, in you know, hiding uh, uh, the, the, how they acquire that money. Uh, Stephanie, uh, advocate Stephanie Fick just spoke, for example, about uh, assessing whether uh, certain things are in a family member's name and what have you. But we We've read reports, for example, Ruben, of, you know, people uh, living in rather lavish houses and those houses be registered to uh, children, uh, business partners, uh, but nothing directly links it to them. How would you describe a comprehensive lifestyle audit as far as you're concerned as the spokesperson for the Public Servants Association? Thank you very much. Uh, good morning, uh, KG, and good morning to Advocate Fig. Um I, I think, first of all, for me, from the perspective of PSA, we need to start by saying, uh, before we even talk about this audit, I think there were some uh, you know, questions that are not being answered. And even in the speech of the president, he does not answer anything to say. And the question we have raised at the beginning of 2018, to say, who will do the 
to who will do this particular uh, lifestyle audit. audit. Mm. Yes, because as we know, government itself is extremely incapacitated. We don't believe that there's any, uh, you know, government arm or even if from the presidency that they have capacity to do whatever they're intending to do. Unless if we are going to say that this process will be subjected or will be conducted by the Auditor General. But if also it has to be done by the Auditor General, there's still lack of details of saying what is the methodology and who will be the first target of cohorts of uh, public representatives and what caliber of public servants. We're talking about 1.3 million public servants. We're talking about state, agent, uh, state um, entities. We're talking about municipalities because this also must go there. Then we're talking about over 2 million uh, probably individuals that must go undergo this process. The question is that, what is the methodology? Are we going to target those who are at uh, management executive level? Are we going to target those who are in supply chain management? All these details are not being mentioned, are not being said, and everybody is just talking about a process or a principle, but we don't know how and who. We yeah. conduct this, this particular process. Yeah. Uh, Advocate Fick, one of the things that uh, the president said yesterday uh, was the fact that he had sent letters to his deputy, Paul Mashadile, to ministers and deputy ministers. And he says he's re- requested their written consent to the process of auditing. Let's talk about that from a legal perspective. Why is it that we, want, on the one end, talk about the necessity of uh, uh, you know, lifestyle auditing, but then in the same breath, we say we need people's p- permission for them to be audited. What happens if they say, no, I won't give you permission to audit me? I don't think they will have a choice. I think if you do certain, if, if you are a manager, work for government, and part of government's policy is to conduct lifestyle audits, that you do not have a choice. It would be interesting to see who does not give permission for this to do. I think the president is diplomatic. He's trying to, you know, get the, the buy-in from, from, from people by saying, give us permission, we want to do a lifestyle audit. I also think that part of the permission, um, and, 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 and I agree with Ruben, there's so many unknowns. You know, we can sit here and speculate. Mm. But, you know, is it a question of give me the permission and I won't make it public? Because we need to talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Lifestyle audits is one thing. But, you know, is the public going to know what was found? Will this be, you know, will they be transparent and will there be accountability? So are they using, you know, give me permission, I'll make sure that it's kept secret. You know, we don't know. It, it will be unfair to, 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 to speculate on something you don't know. But in essence, I do not believe that you necessarily need their permission because they work for, 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 for government. It is you are there to, con- to give a service to the people of South Africa, that your loyalty lies with, you know, giving a service and that you should be open with regards to, you know, you get extra how, money. How should the process be defined? Should the process of the audits, Ruben, be defined in such a way that, yes, one, uh, consent is given, but straight after that, um, if you're found to be guilty of living completely outside of the means that uh, you get from uh, the pay that you get from working for a government institution, then that information is given to uh, the prosecution's authority. How should the process uh, work if it is deemed? to be effective? Yeah, uh, our view is that uh, the 
the, first of all, we believe that um, the, the audit itself should have been a process that is subjected to, you know, the broader community where you also involve labor. Like in this case, in the public service, we know there's a public service uh, coordinated bargaining council. They should have come there and say, this is the intent, this is the principle, these are the cohorts of people that will be subjected to this process. These are the things that the audit will consider during the process. And what will be the outcome? And should it be found that Ruben uh, is living beyond the means? And if you have gone through the bank uh, account of Ruben, you have found that on a monthly basis is having a particular money that is unaccountable, then who will be taking a stance to say, I'll report this to the prosecution, I'll report this to the police, and all those processes are not being outlined. And that's where, from our side as, as the trade union, and we have said this before, even the, about the amendments to the Public Service Commission Amendment Bill, where it says that uh, the cohort of the DGs, the DDGs, and those that will be like in supply chain management, they will be subjected to a process that they can even go into their bank details. And we said that, yeah, that particular process, if you are looking at in a, a, a particular level of a person's responsibility and accountability, will be, it will be acceptable. But imagine, we've got somebody who's level five, uh, earning like 15,000 rand, and we've got many of them. The question is that, how are we going to get consent how are we going to get each and every of those employees to consent to say that, go into my bank and do the skills audit? So, KG, this process of skills audit, especially in the public service, in the municipalities, it should start first go and get consent through a process that is transparent and we know exactly who will be involved, how they will be involved, and what will be the consequence of giving that particular information. Because... People will not be cooperating if they don't know what will be the consequence of the audit. Because how would you now say that I'll give this particular information voluntarily and subsequently the audit comes and says that, no, uh, you are living beyond your means uh, and then there's an element of criminality and you'll find yourself subjected to a, a criminal justice. And I don't think people will be cooperating if they know that particular consequence. So it does sound to me that something is flawed in even how the sort of terms of reference, if I can, uh, you know, use that loosely, uh, of, of what lifestyle audits should look like. The issue also of the uh, service provider. How should a service provider be uh, determined? Because uh, here he is saying uh, he delayed the implementation of the audits because, uh, he, you know, he wanted a change in the service provider. What kind of service provider should be auditing uh, the, the lives of the executive of South Africa, of the members of the executive? Let me ask you to pause, Advocate Stephanie, then. Maybe let me quickly go to news headlines and then we come back and deal with the issue of the service provider. Uh, The question I asked about what kind of service provider uh, should we... Because he he talked about the need for a comprehensive process to happen and as a result uh, changed the service provider. But should we not define the kind of service provider who should even be doing 
the you know the assessment of uh, the member of the lives of the members of the executive we're talking lifestyle audits with advocate Stephanie Fick the executive director at Outer and Ruben Malika spokesperson for the, for the Public Servants Association and we'll continue that conversation in a short while it's 10:30 it's time for the news headline Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Welcome back. It's 10.32. Just in case you just joined us, we're talking the issue of these lifestyle audits um, in the fight against corruption in South Africa. And we're talking this because the president yesterday apologized uh, for the delay in concluding lifestyle audits on members of the executive. He said that this was as a result of him intervening and demanding that the initial process be abandoned in favor of what he would he called a more comprehensive process. And and uh, we are talking to Ruben Maleka, the spokesperson for the Public Servants Association, also advocate Stephanie Fick, the executive director of the accountability division at uh, Auta. So, I mean, advocate Fick, I was talking about the issue of getting this service provider, this one who will, you know, quote unquote, give a more comprehensive process. Should we have a say in how even that service provider is, is, is chosen, the kinds of attributes that service that particular service provider should have to be able to have the power to assess members of the executive their their lives well i think it's always good i think uh, we are sitting in a position as civil society as media that there's a trust deficit you don't always know whether you can trust whatever comes out of uh, out of government because we have been let down in in in, in the past so you know if you have something to contribute then obviously i think that they should listen but you know when it comes to the service provider it should be independent should be able to do what is expected of them without subcontracting and this costing south africa an enormous amount of money so it should be cost effective um and then my question would also be you know who do they report to because it's it's about independence um, and I hear what Ruben is saying is that uh, this should also be a sensitive investigation because you don't want, um, when I say that, you know, you don't necessarily have to give your permission, if something is done with sensitivity and that you know that your personal information will not be blasted on, on, on social media, it, this is a, uh, you know, a lifestyle audit is supposed to give government the opportunity to look at, you know, how can they, where are the risks? How can they curb the risks? You know, what type of um, ethical training do they give? Where are the soft spots? Um, You know, how can you curb corruption in in, in the private sector or or in in, in the public sector? And what can they do? So it's not just about holding to account, but also what are the lessons that you can learn? So who do they report? So I think picking the service provider is extremely important. I don't think it should have taken since 2018 to to appoint the service provider. But um, it's, Well, it's remember be... he says there was another one, uh, but it wasn't comprehensive enough, so they're changing it uh, for a more yeah. comprehensive service provider. Yeah, but didn't you realize that in the beginning? So I, I don't want to sound too critical, but it, it has been taking too long. You know, it, it, it is taking too long. So what was your term of reference? I think Ruben referred to it. You know, what is your term of of, of reference, and if that was in place, 
um, maybe we wouldn't have gone through this back and forth. But the service provider should be as you know, for, objective, cost-effective. As for the issue of these 11,000, because he does say there's 11,000 public servants that have undergone lifestyle audits. He also goes on to say uh, that, you know, he's got the, uh, you know, he's got consent now uh, from all ministers deputies um, himself uh, and I think uh, his deputy, uh, they've all signed and delivered in writing uh, the only process uh, that that, that, that is stalling is uh, um, the implementation right, Uh, as a result of the issue of this service provider. But there's the issue of the deadline, Ruben, uh, March 2024. Uh, Government is expected to complete these audits by March 2024. And of course, in uh, typical uh, President Ramaphosa uh, language, uh, one of the things he said is that, uh, you know, uh, the process is well underway and he had anticipated it will be done shortly. Uh, Shortly is always subjective. What do you make of this deadline? Do you see us uh, knowing by, let's say, April of next year, the outcomes of these lifestyle audits and and whether or not that would influence who ultimately ends up getting vetted uh, to uh, go into Parliament if the NC should indeed come back into power. Yeah, hey, KG. I think uh, you know. I don't want to sound political, but uh, we all know that uh, what will happen in 2024. There's uh, general elections, and uh, you see the timelines are also unrealistic. Uh, obviously, we have asked a very pertinent question. I think uh, Advocate Pick also, uh, you know, made a very good comment to say, but. What happened to the previous service provider that uh, would have uh, been the service provider to render a service? So, and the, we are not being given details. And that is the problem on many aspects when government has to deal with issues of procurement. Because when you deal with issues of particular nature, when you're saying we, you see a problem, you start by being transparent that I've appointed service provider A, mm-hmm. I've not. I'm not continuing with this service provider on these following reasons. Then I'm going to go on another process to appoint service provider B, mm-hmm. who the requirements are the following. So already, the, the, if it's going to be a, a, a private or some someone from the you know one of the audit companies that are private, already we will have suspicions of saying why certain why changes and mm. why not to the audit general because. Uh, government itself is audited by the Auditor General, and we all know that there are findings that sometimes are damning, and which means that they are objective. Why can't they utilize the Auditor General in this process other than a service provider? Because you know it's a service provider that is being changed. Then the next one is we don't know the reasons. And really speaking, KG, uh, the 31st March 2024 from today uh, is unrealistic, as we know the public service the number of public servants, unless if uh, the president was referring to uh, the executive, the ministers and the deputy ministers, maybe that could be possible. But uh, one thing for sure, other than going through this process, and we've made a very good comment to say, perhaps the the whole situation must start by saying, uh, before anybody else can ascend to parliament, must go through vetting, where you are vetted, and then before you even sign in, you have done, you have checked your criminal records, you have checked everything that could be a risk. Because coming up with this lifestyle audit, we know how people can hide their wealth. Mm. Uh, 
we know how people really can, uh, you know, hide whatever that they have through relatives and whatever that means that they, they, they can do. So we, I think that, that's a good point to say, start with the vetting before you win a point. Yeah. Um, listen, if you want to ask Ruben Malika, spokesperson for the Public Servants Association, uh, or the advocate uh, Stephanie Fick, executive director at Outer, a question regards lifestyle audits, please call on 086-000-2032, 086-000-2032. We're talking lifestyle audits uh, because the president himself has said they're a key tool to tackling corruption and malfeasance. So we'll continue our conversation with them and you in a short while. You are listening to KG Mwekezi on SAFM. Welcome back. It's 10.42 on uh, SAFM. We're talking lifestyle audits uh, in the fight against corruption with Ruben Maleka, the spokesperson for the Public Servants Associ- Association, sorry, and advocate Stephanie Fick, the executive director of the uh, of OUTA, um, the accountability division at OUTA. OUTA, of course, is the organization undoing tax abuse do you see uh, um, uh, lifestyle audits um, being an effective way, uh, Advocate, Advocate Fick, to tackle the problem of malfeasance and corruption that we face, uh, particularly in the public sector in South Africa? I think it's one of those tools in your toolbox. So firstly, it will depend on, on you know how in-depth the lifestyle audit is done. If you're going to do a lifestyle audit because you are you know, sort of expected to do it, and you're not going to do anything with the outcome. If some, you know, if if a person is identified or whatever, and you're not going to do anything with the, with with recommendations. Then it's use, then it's useless. But um, I do think that if you use it in in the way that I think it's supposed to be used, it is one of those tools in your toolbox that you can make sure that you know there's anti-corruption um, a policy and 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 so forth. In, in government. Again, you know, it is not just about, you know, the, the criminality of, of corruption, but it's also ethical leadership. So, you know, there's a, there's a, a policy change that is needed and um, giving people the opportunity, whistleblowers, for example, making it possible for, for people that identify corruption to whistleblow, not, you know, the, the few whistleblowers in South Africa that's courageous enough faces enormous pressure. Um, when when they decide to to blow the whistle. So again, to come back, I think it is important if you're going to use it for the purpose. In other words, identifying risks, identifying the you know the high-profile individuals that is exposed, and then do something about it. Because if we are going to talk and talk and talk and have excuses, it's specifically when it comes to your executive that has never been held accountable, not even by parliament then I'm afraid that you are wasting money. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Mr. Malika, let's talk. I mean, there were reports, uh, particularly in relation to uh, the deputy president, Paul Mashatile. Uh, they, they, they're gone, of course, now. But there were early this year some reports of him enjoying an exorbitant and luxurious lifestyle. Um, do you see something like uh, a lifestyle audit uh, being effective in dealing with a situation like that? Uh, you know, because we still don't have a clear experience explanation even from the deputy president himself around those uh, that the, the, the so-called uh, exorbitant and luxurious lifestyle that he lives uh, about how for example uh, if at all the money was acquired for it 
Look, uh, KG, the, 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 basically the, the challenge that we have, and, and that's still my question, to say if we have the, the lifestyle audit and uh, we have the outcomes, the question is that what what action will be taken out of the, uh, of the outcome of the lifestyle, lifestyle audit? Mm. And from, from our view as PSA, I think uh, it must begin with employment of public servants. When, and I, I don't think there's anything that precludes when you employ to employ by doing a, a proper vetting, knowing exactly what Taliban person that we are, we are. Because we hear many instances that in the public service after employment, you realize that no, they've even employed somebody who's got a fake ID or somebody who's not even a bond South African but declared himself uh, or herself a bond South African. The loopholes start from the employment. If you start employing uh, somebody that you know would have an element of criminality, then that's where the problem will start, and that's when all these kind of uh, you know small things starting from corruption would would start. Because if you know that uh, I've, I've got a CFO that has gone through this process, the this person uh, you know. This is the profile of this particular person. Then we are able to know exactly what kind of a person we are dealing with from the onset. If this person would get from the onset when he's employed that I'm inherited so much of wealth from my uh, my family, and if you see this mm. kind of lifestyle, you must know exactly that it's not only about my salary. Mm. Then you'd know. But nothing is done. Uh, it's a simple thing of going through interview process, recruitment process, and then the person is employed. And we get surprised when a person is living a particular kind of life. So, and if I go back to the question of uh, what happened to the issue, remember that element of, of Deputy President, it came in an element that is political, of saying uh, I'm, I'm being uh, victimized, I've been uh, followed up precisely because, because I'm sitting in this position. And like In I fact, saying, to quote him, he said they want me out. Yes, that, that that is the problem because uh, if from the onset, when the, the deputy president went to parliament, son in, he has gone through the vetting, declared all interest, declared all everything that he has to, and then suddenly you see a particular kind of lifestyle. Then you go to the basis of saying, as far as you are concerned, this person should not be living this kind of life. Then you can have a basic. But if there is no basis of saying, you have done the basic vetting from the onset, nor the declaration of this particular individual that is coming to parliament or is being employed. It's very, very difficult through the lifestyle audit to start saying that, no, uh, let's do something out of the lifestyle audit. Yeah, interesting because he spoke of the vetting process. And again, that's another thing that left many questions in my head. Um, but he said that he, he says the process of vetting is too lengthy. And some people actually end up leaving the public service without even being vetted. So there's people who've worked in the public service for however long, get in, get out, and leave without ever being vetted. Is that not problematic, uh, Advocate Stephanie? Yeah, I think um, I agree that your rec- recruitment processes should be more b- vigorous because I've, I think what we've seen is there are so many, so many individuals out there that is professional, ethical, has got the, the, the knowledge, but we tend to see that 
you know, certain positions are there for certain people. So it's not about vetting. It's about you get the, the, the position no matter what. Um, I think a, a classic example was with the SABC, you know, where we had a person that didn't have the required um, um, expertise. And everybody knew this. It was sort of acceptable. So if you want to, if you want to create, it's about, let's call it political will. Let's call it, um, you know, a will to affect change. But if you want to create a culture of anti-corruption, you know, ethical behavior, is that you will start with a recruitment process, um, you know, a, a thorough a recruitment process, not a, um, you know, it's taking six months to employ someone, you know, just a effective recruitment process, making sure that people, um, um, you know, have the qualifications that they should have, identifying risks. Um, for example, I, um, you know, do a little bit of background checks. And the higher up you get, do a bit more thorough background checks. And then, you know, lifestyle audits is really why are we faced with lifestyle audits? It's because corruption is so rough. And that is mm. one of the ways to try and um, expose, you know, individuals that has exposed themselves. But it's, again, it's with the intent you do this. Because yeah. you can do anything without the intent of actually correcting behavior. Yeah. We've got a caller, Kurt in Cape Town. Hi, Kurt. Good morning. Uh, it's a very interesting topic you have today on today's show. Uh, I just want to add my five cents piece, please. Um, with regards to the lifestyle audits, I cannot understand why there is such a furor uh, about lifestyle audits not being conducted when the organization, the ANC, is so filled with um, corrupt officials at every level it appears to be. So people get nominated from branch level and progress through the ranks within the party, knowing and people know that they are crooked and they get to executive office status, and they're still corrupt. In fact, maybe even more corrupt. And everybody knows it, nobody does anything about it. So it's not in the interests of the people who are being asked to declare their status, um, whether they are okay with having lifestyle audits done. I think it should be a prerequisite, but also... Don't put the people there if they're already under a shadow. But we see this within political parties that it doesn't stop you from being nominated. If you, got, if you get enough support, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past or what you're doing in the So it's almost like it's a useless process anyway, uh, because uh, from the ground up, they come through corrupt and, you know, they get access to power. We, with us knowing that they're completely corrupt and there's nothing we can do about it. Correct. And by the time they get into executive office, it's too late because they've already paved the way and they've already got the, got the support. Um, and it doesn't just pertain to the ANC. I mean, if I was an EFF member, I would wonder how Julius Malema is in Ibiza DJing on a beach with a tobacco, a tobacco uh, magnet um, money and, and that he's living in the parents' house. That would concern me. Mm. And yet the EFF has many red overalls parading the streets of South Africa and Julius Malema is a hero. I don't understand it. It really gets to the core of a society mm. at some level that we are okay with um, public representatives flaunting wealth that it is clear that they have no right to earn legitimately but there they are. Yeah, okay. Thank you for your thoughts, uh, Kurt. Uh, you know, I, I, do you think there's a point to what Kurt is saying, Ruben, that, you know, ultimately it's a useless process uh, because here we are, uh, we know what we know, and life goes on, and this is how life is in South Africa. 
let's be basic to say let one part, political party says uh, come one of the manifestos in 2024 is that to be a public representative or to represent them in any public office you will be vetted then let I, i'm telling you there is no political party that will bring that element because in some instances you find that certain individuals who will occupy certain positions are so powerful that they've got so many followers that if you make their, their lives difficult to be part of yourself as a political organization you might not even garner the number of votes that we are looking for so the process of vetting will always be a difficulty when it comes to the office bearers or the public representative but we still believe that it's more possible in the employment in the public sector mm. when you employ an employee in the public service and I don't agree that uh, it is a long process. I mean, we all know. and even Well, the president our... says it is. He says it's a very long process. Some people get in and even get out of public service without ever being vetted. No, that process takes a month. We all know that. Uh, uh, and we, we do that uh, or see an organization in PSA. Mm. Uh, we know that it takes less than a month. You'll have the outcome. Uh, it, it's a question of the willingness. If you've got the will to do it, you will do it within a month. And we still believe that it should be done in the public service. It will be different with political uh, representatives because, you know, you'd know that a particular individual has got so many followers that the party would not want to, to lose that particular individual, although they know uh, this person is tainted, this person is living large more than uh, uh, being a public representative. But the, the political parties cannot afford that person would be part of the of the campaign or being part of the those that would represent them in the public office. Mm-hmm. Mike in Mafikeng wants to join the conversation. Mike, good morning. Good morning to you, Thank mm. you very much for taking my call. Mm. I believe there's no point for us uh, talking about so many things, you know, uh, concerning this thing. The bottom line, and if you sum, you, cannot, you must just sum the whole thing up to say, the problem is the ANC. I don't know if people can't, or maybe they refuse to accept the truth and the reality. The problem is the ANC. They are in government. Cyril Ramaphosa is the president. He says, no, well, vetting uh, is going to take long. They don't want to do it, KG. And they will never do it for as long as we are alive. You know, KG, that's one thing about politicians. Politicians are wreaking havoc in God's world, and they are so evil. And, uh, you know, I believe the devil loves politicians, I must tell you, my sister. The devil loves politicians because they are his lieutenants, they are his generals, they are his best foot soldiers. That is why he tempts them. They can do anything. So it's even worse. It's worse. You know, even now, truth uh, doesn't work anymore. It's lies. Lies is being taken for truth, and truth is being taken for lies. That's what they do. They are evil. They will never do it. They will never audit themselves. They can steal the money, fill up S&B Stadium with money. But what I'm glad about is that at the end of the day, we're all going to die. Thank you, KG.
Wow. Okay, Mike. You know, going forward, let, let's round off our conversation. What do you think should happen, uh, Advocate Stephanie Fick, uh, if we are to have, a, you know, one, a credible lifestyle audits for public officials in South Africa? What should happen? And uh, is it even worth investing the money into the process of uh, lifestyle audits in the first place? It really depends on what you're going to do with it. If you're doing this in order just to, you know, give the impression, like the listener said, you know, lifestyle orders are not going to happen. You know, there's all, it's just talk, talk, talk. So, um, you know, it will really depend on, on the, the attitude with which you do it. Um, if you're going to do it just to say we've done it and we're not going to take any action or no one will ever know what the outcome was of, of, of a lifestyle audit, then you are wasting you know, everybody's time and you're making promises you're not going to keep and you're wasting money. Um, but if you're going to do it because you have this attitude of creating a culture of anti-corruption, you want to create a, a culture in government where people are, they just want to do their job to the best of their ability, uh, you know, in the best interest of South Africa. Um, uh, uh, you know, then a lifestyle audit is, again, one of those tools to start building a, a society where corruption, you know, is a no-no. Mm. And, and people look down on corruption. But I think we all, you know, there's a culture, and that comes from the top, mm. unfortunately, mm. is that corruption is okay. And if you are not corrupt, you're the one that's going to lose out. Yeah. And that we need to change. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ruben Malika, are you pro-lifestyle uh, audits? Do you think it will be a worthwhile investment uh, for, uh, you know, government uh, to put money into it? Do you see it as something that will end corruption and malfeasance? Uh, KG, this, lifestyle audit should not be an, uh, an event. It must be a, a, a continuous process. And... I think I would imagine that if it is going to be a principle and a mandate that will be given to the order general, like they all do the audits all the time, mm. and it be done all the time. It should not be an even that come 31st of March, 2024 would have done the audit. No, it must be a, a norm and a standard that at any time the pub, any public initiative will will be will go uh, undergo the lifestyle audit. And it will be done by the order general mm. without the service provider. So in that way, would know that you know wherever you are sitting as a public representative or an office bearer, you'd know that at any time when the order general arrives in my office, then do this process, and everybody would be behaving because after 31st of March 20, uh, next year, what would happen? Everybody will go back to normality because the lifestyle order is completed. Yeah. Thank you for uh, both your time. Ruan Malika, spokesperson for the Public Servants Association, advocate Stephanie Fick, executive director of the Accountability Division at Outer. Thank you to the both of you. It's 11 o'clock and Musa standing by with the news.